Would you be opening your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5? And we're talking about how to be a kingdom dweller today. We've been looking at the Beatitudes, the how-to-bes, those attitudes that should be present in our lives as followers of Christ. And now Jesus begins to move away from the Beatitudes. And uh, this is sort of a framework that he is setting for us on how to live in this kingdom as a representative of his kingdom. How you and I are to operate, how you and I are to live and to love in order to influence our world as his aroma and as his ambassadors. Jesus said in this passage... You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. John MacArthur said the word you in both of these verses is plural. It could actually be translated you and you alone are the salt and the light of the world. That is, God does not have a plan B. Look around the room. He has given to us the high calling and privilege to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you several truths out of this passage. If you'll look with me in Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 13. The scripture says you are the salt of the earth. But the salt, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it become salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Verse 17, do not think, Jesus said, that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps them and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Beloved, let me remind you that he is gathered there with his disciples. And evidently others are beginning to join in and a crowd is beginning to build. We're not exactly sure how many and when and all that happened. But it seems that that is in context what is happening. He's there on the hillside of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee, and he's sitting down with his disciples and he's beginning to teach them kingdom truths. Again, beatitudes, those attitudes that ought to be. And now he's moving into another context to help us understand what is required of us as stewards of a great salvation that has been wrought for us through Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want you to see it's what I call infiltration. Look again in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. In that culture in first century, pure salt was a rare delicacy and it was considered more valuable than gold. 
There are several aspects of salt that I just want to briefly touch on this morning that I believe Jesus may have had in mind as he used that term to describe you and I individually as believers of Christ who name the name of Jesus and corporately the body of Christ, the church as a whole, as we go about trying to impact and influence our culture for Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to think about is how salt seasons salt seasons and adds flavor a genuine believer will live by faith and not sight a genuine believer will produce a life that is distinguished by the fruit of the spirit and daily advertising as a satisfied customer the reality of a life being radically transformed by the indwelling Christ oh the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. In Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. One of the aspects of salt is that it seasons. Another aspect of salt is that it heals. Salt has an antiseptic property about it. There's a story in 2 Kings where Elijah came upon waters that were bitter and they could not be uh, used for anything. They were deadly and he took a crew of salt and poured it into those waters and they immediately became sweet. That is, salt has an antiseptic property to it. In Bible times, newborns were washed shortly after birth and given a sailing bath to prevent infection. So salt seasons and salt heals, but salt also irritates. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Kingdom living, as we saw in the Beatitudes, sets us at odds with the kingdom of this world. Jesus said people will insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. But he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Beloved, salt irritates and this world is no friend of ours. This world, this culture in which you and I live, beloved, it hates us. It hates the good news of the gospel. And frankly, they would crucify Christ again if given the opportunity. You and I, when we name the name of Jesus Christ, we have set ourselves at odds against the culture that we're living in. And you and I both know that we're watching this unfold in unprecedented ways as this world that loves its sin and delights in its darkness resists and pushes back against the Christian message of Jesus Christ will not only dissolve, season, and heal, and irritate, but it creates a thirst. When the kingdom of God is set on full display through the lives of individual surrendered believers and the, the, the community of faith at large, beloved, God can use that to create a thirst for righteousness in the heart and mind of unbelievers. Now, obviously, it is the role of the Spirit of God to bring about an awakening of the soul of a lost person. But, beloved, we know that God can use the testimony of the individual believer and of the church to create a thirst for righteousness 
which he can then use to help a lost person find soul satisfaction and redemption in Christ alone. Salt seasons, it heals, it irritates, it creates thirst, and it penetrates. In his sermon called Salty Saints, Dr. Rogers wrote this or said this, salt is one of the few major compounds that will dissolve equally well in hot or cold water. And what we need to do is to get the salt to the source where it can penetrate, where it can activate, and where it can change society. Beloved, do you understand that as the Great Commission is fulfilled, the salt of the gospel reaches out into our community, to our local area, to our region, our state, our country, and literally to the far reaches of the world because salt penetrates. And finally, salt preserves. Perhaps the most important use of salt in the first century was for preserving food. Prior to refrigeration, that was the most desirable method to preserve food from spoiling and decaying. Stuart Weber said this, just as salt prevents or kills bacteria in food, the kingdom servant pre uh, prevents or confronts corruption in the world. Notice that it is the world that needs the salt, not the kingdom of heaven. If the kingdom servant did not have a function to perform on earth according to God's plan, he might as well go straight to heaven upon conversion. The reality is the earth needs the influence of Christ's church in this age. So salt seasons, heals, irritates, creates thirst, penetrates, and preserves. But Jesus gives us a warning. What happens if the salt becomes tasteless? And he goes on to say it becomes worthless. It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. Salt that is no longer salty is useless. It is worthless. Now as that applies to the Christian, he is not in any way suggesting that you and I can lose our salvation. That's an impossibility. I could take you to a number of scriptures, but the, the Bible teaches in many places that in Christ we have eternal life. So it's not that we lose our salvation, we lose our effectiveness. And we are disqualified for service. Beloved, at the moment you and I receive Jesus... He placed us into the body that we might serve the body of Christ with our spiritual gifts, but also beyond that into the community. This week our, our uh, spiritual discipline was on service, how we might serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about. When salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. In fact, in that culture, much of the salt was harvested around the Dead Sea. Now, the problem was with that is they had to be very careful because often that salt there was mixed with minerals and compounds that ruined the flavor it could be dangerous and actually could be deadly because of the strength of it. So you and I are called to be single-minded, to walk in holiness and truth, to pursue a life 
of practical righteousness and practical holiness that you and I might live in such a way to glorify the Father and the Son. Stuart Weber said, The kingdom servant who does not live according to his nature as salt is useless to the king's advancement of the kingdom on earth. Beloved, we have to strive to retain that which we have been called to do. Salt that was mixed with other compounds was diluted and contaminated. And for the Christian to be contaminated by the lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh or pride of life, to begin to embrace worldliness will lose their saltiness and will lose their effective service for Jesus Christ. So the first thing I wanted you to see is what I called infiltration. The second is illumination. Look with me now in verse 14. You not only are salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light Shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. Salt tends to speak to our character while light tends to speak to our conduct. We are to live in such a way that others see the reality of Christ in us. And our good works are to be on display, not for our own glory, but that they might glorify the Father. And how does that work, beloved? When this unbelieving world sees you and I operate in ways that they know are contrary to us. When they see us rise above the downward pull of the world, the flesh, and the, dev the devil. When they see us in service to the king, it glorifies our father because they know that is not something you and I have mustered up. It's a work of God from the inside out. That transformation is, uh, is taking place. We are called. To be a light, to dispel darkness. Now we don't generate our own light, we reflect it. And our lives are to be such a reflection of Christ that they glorify the Father. Jesus said, you are salt and you are light. Paul wrote, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding forth the word of truth. Beloved, he has filled us with his spirit. He has given us his word. And he has called us out of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he has given every one of us places of service, opportunities to serve him and to glorify his name. Oh, that we would remember that we have been declared salt and light. To dispel the darkness. You know that Craig and I have two boys. Our oldest son Jason. And uh, his younger brother Dawes. Dawson is uh, two years younger than Jason. And I was thinking back to the time. That Jason was in kindergarten. He started kindergarten when he was five years old. And I declare I can still remember this event. Like it was yesterday. 
But he was attending kindergarten, and we got a notice that his kindergarten class was going to get to go tour a firehouse. Oh, he was so excited. He could not wait to see the fire truck, and he wanted to meet all of the firemen. And he was so excited, and he asked me if I would go to to drive and to chaperone three other little boys with him. Not only that, he wanted to take his brother. They had invited the siblings to go too. Now, Dawes was three years old. And I can remember hearing Jason chatter to his little brother, telling him all about what it was going to be like and how much fun they were going to have and getting him all riled up. So there was really nothing to do but commit to drive uh, four little boys plus Dawson to the fire station. And I can remember the day just as, just as if it just happened. It was a hot, hot day in Memphis. Now that's hard to believe because we have just come through some of the coldest weather and folks I don't know where you are watching online but Memphis has just been through like most of the country a snowstorm that has been unbelievable with temperatures down as low as one degree I've lived here nearly all of my life I've never seen anything like it now I've just got to tell you I do not like cold weather where are my sisters yes there you are there you are sure sure I don't like cold. In fact, I live in fear of two things. One, getting cold. The other's getting wet. And I've just got to tell you, if I get cold and wet, oh, it's, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. My friends were out rolling and playing in that snow. And they thought I should get out there too. They were sending me messages on Facebook that I needed to pull on all my warm clothes. And I needed to get out there. There's just We're never going to live long enough to see another storm. And that's what I was praying, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> Don't want to ever do that again. Oh, my goodness. They just couldn't imagine that I didn't want to get out there in all of that. Oh, child, please, please. I stayed wrapped in my afghan with so many layers of clothes that when I would change clothes, it would be a load of laundry. Anybody understand what I'm saying? I am telling you, I could not wait until that snow cleared. And you know we live in a rural area, and I ventured out yesterday for the first time. I didn't go far, but I was still having to use four-wheel drive. That's how much ice and snow we got out there, way out there in the country. And just so you know, last week, Mr. Stockdale said, now, babe, I'm going to drive you in on Tuesday. I don't want you worrying about how you're going to get in. I'm going to put you in the truck, and I'm going to drive you right to the door. So as the weather began to clear, I said, now, sweetheart, you do not have to drive me in. He said, oh, no, I've made plans, and I'm going to take you in. So this morning, uh, he drove me in just to make sure that I arrived safely. I'm very grateful for that. But we have just had this storm of a century, just unbelievable, unbelievable weather. So this happened when it was a warm, hot, sunny day. And we got to the fire station. I can still remember watching those little boys. Oh, they were just so excited. And the guys at the fire station did such a wonderful job giving them so much attention and taking them all the way through the fire station. We saw every part of it. Now, Dawson, who was three, was still taking a nap. And he had missed his nap. You young moms are going, oh, yeah, there's trouble right there. You know this is going to end badly. And so I could not do a thing with him. I was responsible for these Jason and three other little boys, and I could not do a thing with this child. He was tired and irritable and cranky and not cooperative. And as the firemen are touring us through the fire station, I'm just giving him all those nonverbal signs. 
those kind of things, you know. And he was not picking up on them. And the firemen took us back to where they sleep. And y'all, I'm not kidding, that child slipped away from me in an instant. And when I turned around, he was jumping on the fireman's bed. And I'm thinking, I need to get home. I, I need to get home. I need to stay there for several years without venturing out. Then we passed the Coke machine. Now, our children weren't even allowed Cokes at this point, but they knew what that was, and Dawson was convinced he needed one. And so he had a meltdown. I'm telling you, this thing was going so bad in so many ways. Finally, the tour was just about out, and the firemen took the children out into the courtyard, and they had them all sit down on the grass, and Dawson was all ready for this now, and he slipped in there with his brother and sat right next to him, and the firemen were showing him all the gear and just taking so much time with him. And I remember it really captured Dawson's attention, and I kind of slumped against a tree in the shade and was just so grateful for just a moment of peace and quiet. And this mom approached me, and I was thinking to myself, I don't believe I've ever met her before. And so I, uh, I asked her what her name was and she told me it was Terry and she said in your name and I said I'm Jean Stockdale and I looked at her and I said oh so you're Terry and she said yes and I said oh Terry are you Jason's mother and I thought for a minute I am Jason's mother <laughs> and when I told her that no 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 I am Jason's mother I can still see the look on her face and she began to sort of back away from me and I'm pretty sure they had my name taken off the chaperone list. For just a moment, I forgot who I was. May I tell you that in our walk with the Lord, sometimes we forget who we are. And Jesus said, you, and you, and you, and you are light and salt. That's what you're called to do beloved in Christ we've been redeemed we've been reconciled we have been ransomed out of the marketplace of sin in Christ we've been accepted in the beloved blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places we have been chosen before the foundation of the world we have been made to be a new creation in Christ an heir of God and a joint heir are you kidding me with Jesus Christ, don't forget who you are. We've been forgiven, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We are light and we are salt. Well, not only that, let me just talk to you in the last few minutes about the ministry of reconciliation because he goes on to say in verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. You see, a God-fearing Jew of that day revered the teaching of the law and the prophets, which is how they referred to their only scripture, which was the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so they wanted to know whenever they heard a teacher or anyone claiming to speak for God, they wanted to know what his take was on the Old Testament, how he lined up with the law. 
And obviously there were those who were saying that Jesus Christ somehow was trying to abolish the law. And he's putting their mind to ease. So I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. That is to both keep it and to explain fully its original intention. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees had in that day reduced a relationship with God to merely keeping rules and rituals and regulations. And they had discounted faith. Now, beloved, God has always dealt with his people through faith. And so what they were teaching them erroneously is that somehow they could earn God's favor by keeping the law. The problem with that, it's not true. Because nobody, nobody can keep the law except the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The law can reveal sin, but it cannot redeem the law was given, beloved, to expose the lost condition of our sinful human hearts and to demonstrate that we were sinners in need of a Savior. That was the role of the law. Securing entrance into the kingdom of heaven cannot be acquired through works righteousness, which is what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching. Only imputed righteousness through a personal relationship with Christ, can reconcile a sinner with a holy God. Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is because you cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. It is offered as a free gift that is received by grace through faith. That's what Jesus is telling them. Romans 3.20 said, by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. It must be accepted as a free gift through repentance and faith. Romans 8, verse 4 and 5, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You and I cannot earn God's favor only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is entered to by repentance and faith through imputed righteousness. When we meet his conditions and he declares us holy, righteous, that, beloved, is how we are reconciled as sinners to a holy God. It's through Jesus Christ. But the religious community of that day was presenting what is nothing more than works-based righteousness. It's legalism. They were convincing the people that if they would follow these incredibly difficult commands and they were adding traditions, over 600 traditions had been added to the law. It was all about human effort and not about Jesus Christ. Beloved, what God is saying to us today is that salt needs to be shaken into the culture. And you and I are that salt. 
He has planted each one of us in a place. He has given us gifts and he has called us into service and action so that we might live in such a way that others will see Jesus Christ. He has called us to a life of sacrifice. He has called us to a life of service. He has called us to a life where we die to self and consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, crucified with Christ. So the life that we live declares the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his glory. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to us today. That salt is to be shaken out into the culture and light is to be broadcast into the darkness. Not hidden with a bushel basket but rather set upon a lampstand so that it can give its light to all like a city on a hill. You and I are to live in such a way that we point others to Jesus Christ, not for our gain, not for our glory, but they might see our good works and they would glorify the Father who is in heaven. That, beloved, is the essence of the Christian life. What God is saying to us is for us as children of God to penetrate the culture, to light the dark, to glorify the Father. And this, beloved, is what kingdom living is all about. Beloved, I just have sensed this stirring in my spirit of God moving among us and desiring to call us out into the deep. And so today, we're going to close out just a little bit differently. We've asked Michelle to come and lead us in that song again. We felt like you would surely want to learn that song. It has such a hook to it. The words are, are just so precious and dear. I, I've listened to it a number of times, and I love it more and more every time I listen to it. But before she does, as we're preparing our hearts to close out in worship and praise, I just wanted to give you a moment to do business with the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And beloved, I just want to tell you that in this time, we're just going to take a few moments and talk with the Lord. And if you would like to stand, you are welcome. If you would like to kneel, you are welcome. If you want to stay seated, that's perfectly fine. But I'm going to ask you to get your heart into a posture before the Lord of worship and praise. And I'm going to lead us in just a moment in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to begin to ask God the Father, what is it he wants you to do? What area in your life are you possibly hanging on to that is keeping you from totally selling out and surrendering to him? What are you possibly doing that are causing the light of your life to be diminished? What do you need to yield to him? What do you need to surrender to him? What do you need to lay before the altar? Is there anything holding you back from a total sellout? I'm asking those of you who are watching online if you too would just take this moment as we quiet our hearts and souls, go before the throne, 
and ask the Lord, is there anything you need to do? Anything that you need to give up or surrender? Any spiritual discipline that you need to add to your life that you might be salt and light for his kingdom.